Hello everybody and welcome back to Eyes of the Vines. My name is John. That's Ian. It's me. I'm here. Hooray. Hooray all around. Today is January 21st. We are here recording episode 137, Escape from Seattle. <laughs> all right. Reference point for this. For those of you curious about this one, uh, my derpy behind went to go visit my wife this past weekend. It was a long holiday weekend uh, for Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And I had originally scheduled myself to the D.C. area is very interesting in that it has technically three airports in Dulles International, Reagan National, and Baltimore, Washington International. I never use Baltimore because it's way too far away. It's like over an hour and 20 minute drive away and I have to drive past the city. Yikes. Reagan's closest at like 25, 30 minutes and Dulles is like 35, 40. So it was way cheaper for me to fly out of Dulles and then fly back into Reagan by like 200 some dollars. I just didn't leave myself the note to, hey, when you fly out to Seattle, park your car at Reagan and then get a ride or a ride share over to Dulles. I forgot about that and didn't realize it until Sunday afternoon when I was checking into my flight and like, oh, this stinks because I got back at 10 p.m. And had <laughs> instead of getting home at like 1030, I got home at 1230 because I had to beat surge pricing on uh, the airport pro tip and pro strat for you. If it looks like you have surge pricing at your airport and you're at um, so basically Uber or Lyft and basically when I landed, it hit from 27 to 30 dollars for the ride over to Dulles to 120 dollars because the drivers can add cancel add cancel and it inflates rates making it look like it's higher volume than it is take a shuttle to the nearest airport hotel and then catch an uber from there it will save you money that's what i did but in the long run it still got me home way later than i should have if i just done that on the front end and not the back end but oh well oh well i was mainly doing it as a reference to escape from new york and escape from la and also escape the mechanic and that too. But now that we've explained the joke thoroughly for two minutes, uh, wow, we're going to go ahead and talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, yes, I did. But yeah. there was context. Uh, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the Theros Beyond Death cards. It's They've been around on Magic Online and Arena for a couple of days at this point, And we've already gotten some reviews back from the people who are playing with it. Um, and Hi. also people who are having fun at the pre-release. Yeah, you. You were one of those people. I was one of the people um, during the streamer. Uh, early access event and man that was fun thanks sounds like it i should mention wizards invited me for free and thanks wizards because that's a disclaimer i have to do by law it is um before we do so we'll do some quick eyes on the community first up uh this weekend is grand prix new jersey at magic fest new jersey uh and the event is theris beyond death sealed well limited because then it goes to draft but yeah sorry well actually okay now i got that out of the way Good, 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 good. Cool. Uh, so we'll see what the kind of primary strats are for this sealed format. Um, next couple of weekends, I believe, are going to be Pioneer. So those will be interesting to see how the Pioneer format shakes out, especially with how Theros Beyond Death has impacted it. Intent, we're probably going to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, so um, it's Brussels and Nagoya. So this is the uh, kind of weird joint weekend where Brussels and Nagoya yes. are happening the same weekend that are Pioneer. And then the weekend after is... Magic Effects Phoenix, which is Pioneer, but also the Players Tour. Yes, Players Tour 1. Which is weird. 
And then the next mm-hmm. one after that's Reno all the way at the end of February, which is another limited. So there's no standard between now and uh, March. It's a little crazy, but okay. Yeah. The only thing we're going to get is a couple SCG events in the middle there. Uh, there's some team yeah. events that are happening. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of weird we're not getting an actual like Theros standard GP until Magic Fest Leon, uh, March 6th mm. through 8th and Detroit the 13th and the 15th. So mm. it's like two months away. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Grand Prix main events, the next batch of events have been announced through August 7th. Uh, with August 7th being one that I'm interested in up in Columbus, which is the main event of Modern. Um, the That's big nice. kind of point of consternation amongst the community is that Wizards didn't announce a Legacy GP, which should be to the surprise of almost no one. Yeah, to the surprise of no one, but also complaint equity was to be had. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, I got in a little bit on it on Twitter today too, but namely uh, the ju- just of the matter that got kind of talked about on uh the mtg reddit was someone from wizards reply basically tldring it down to looking at low player numbers not just a gp but i guess across the entirety of sanctioned play now that's kind of almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way where there's no major gps for that scg announced they were cutting legacy from the scg tour this year in place of pioneer there is basically eternal weekend and maybe a couple like 10k events out there that are legacy now uh there's some european legacy events that are usually a bit larger like the mkm card market one and that's about it there's really not a whole lot plus card availability means you have pockets of legacy players around i know i think dc has a small community the seattle has a massive community there's a couple other pockets around the country but that's about it so it's kind of almost self-serving. Plus, also, last year's North American one was on Easter weekend at Niagara Falls, which has no major airport within like a two-hour drive. So yeah, you, you basically self-selected your out of all but the hardest of hardcore for that one. So, And then the other thing is that, you know, when you look at some of these legacy GPs, they might, they might garner a lot of people for the main event. I mean... I haven't looked at the attendance stats for any of them recently, but I'm sure they're pretty high up there because they're there must go to events if you want to play Legacy at a high level like this. And I mean, when I was at Austin, they had you know Legacy double ups, yeah. which is which is an event that you know has high price payout for playing Legacy, which in this case would be your preferred format if you're that adamant about wanting a Legacy GP. Honestly, but like I would, like I would you said, Ian, that. you know, yeah, but like you said, Ian, you know, card availability is the big 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 hammer that keeps legacy down yep and then also you know the comment that the wizard employee said is that you know the numbers across everything you know show that but when you have standard gps with 350 people in them they kind of well if you have a legacy gp with 800 people in it is that better or worse than the standard gp with 350 and then if you're saying that the numbers are lower are you looking at you know just the attendance of the one legacy gp compared to the 10 standard gps because that's not how that should work, but Wizards is making a determination based on a lot of data that we can't see to not necessarily support a legacy GP. Now, with the outcry that people have had, maybe there's a legacy GP in the last kind of third of 2020, but it's really just up in the air. I would really hope so. Uh, so, like I said, we basically got the schedule up through August 7th. So we've got August 14th through the 18th of December. Mm-hmm. 
which is a whole slew of events in some very big cities like Kobe, Bologna, Las Vegas, Montreal, D.C., Barcelona, Sydney, Milwaukee, Budapest, Anaheim, Utrecht, Memphis, Nagoya, Hartford, London, Portland. Of those cities, the smallest one is possibly Hartford, and that's Connecticut. And that's relatively, that's like an hour plus drive from New York City. Like everything else is in a decently accessible area. So I don't think they would put Memphis or Legacy in Memphis just, even though it is kind of centrally located, I think they'll put either Standard Pioneer or Modern. They could also do Limited. I really don't know. Oh, no. I'm just, um, I'm just looking at, do these places have an airport? Are they actually yeah. bigger cities or cities that have had larger style events? Yes, they all have. So I would wager that it's going to be a North American city that gets it. I think they're going to we'll do, see. well, in past years, they've done a North American and a Europe. So we might see something like a Barcelona. And I mean, if you yeah. want to, you could say uh, Barcelona, D.C. and back-to-back weekends because you also have a Sydney. I could also see Vegas having one. They could do a double Vegas again. So yeah, you never know. We'll see. We'll, we'll find out. We'll table it for later. But the story for this one is there is a team limited in June. Yeah, in Seattle. Uh, yeah, so far it's Ikoria. It's just on the the cusp of uh, changing over to the next format. Or unless they do an ancillary. Now, granted, the CFB events page has the Ikoria name on it. Who knows if there is going to be an ancillary summer product that we don't know about yet. That The timing kind of would fit for that one, but we'll see. Yeah. Because I think the assumption is Ikoria, but we'll see. Keep in mind, last summer, SCG Con had the pre-release events, and that was like the second week of June for Modern Horizons. So there's a a shot that they might do something like that if they bump up the pre-release a little bit earlier for it, but that's still kind of early in the summer. We'll see. If not, eh, it might be Minneapolis. Don't forget, there's a lot of Commander products being released this year. A lot of Commander products. Oh yeah, there's going to be a lot of products. But... That said, schedule's out. It's on cfbevents.com slash 2020. Go check it out. Uh, yep. See what local events are coming near you. And honestly, if there is one near you, even if you don't like the uh, the format that the main event is, just go anyway. Like you, Go t- for the mystery draft. Oh, yeah, seriously. I, so I don't know how much longer those are going to be around, do they say? Is that I, a- they are going to be for every GP in 2020 or every Magic Fest in 2020. Oh, well, yeah, I was actually talking with the person I'm rooming with for uh, GP New Jersey, one, uh, I guess you could say, uh, premier ex-pilot of the format, Ben Wheeler. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes, the premier, premier pilot of uh, of Canadian Highlander. The premier pilot. Um, He was, we originally originally thought that this was going to have a modern PTQs at GP New Jersey's weekend. Turns out it's Pioneer, because it's Reno, who I'm also rooming with him for Reno. Uh... (laughs) That has the modern PTQs, not this one. So, ah, yeah, classic conundrum. We got, we got, got. But I'm just going to have fun because Jersey's like three hour drive away, so I don't have to worry about plane flight. Uh, all I got to do is worry about gas and tolls because the New Jersey Turnpike sucks at tolls. I mean, I could just take like 30, 40 minutes longer, but yeah. Well, I think now is a good time to probably move on to the main topic. Mm-hmm. But good luck to you when you go do the thing. But that's it. There, that's Theros. So. Theros cards. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the cards that have already kind of piqued people's interest, already have decks that are based around them, uh, based on Magic Online, based on just kind of hype and everything along those lines. And I think that the best card to start with is the one that's the most broken. Potentially. Because (laughs) Underworld Breach is the second card with Breach in the name that is being referred to as just Breach, which is making it very confusing. Yeah. Um, 
especially when it comes to like legacy. Well, modern I think is the is the big kind of one that's really going to make it a little bit more difficult. Well, yeah, uh, like, but, yeah, uh, that's true. Modern modern has because they don't play through the breach; they can just sneak and show. Yeah, exactly. So uh, underworld breach is one in a red for a rare enchantment. Uh, each non land card in your graveyard has escape. Uh, the escape cost is equal to its mana cost plus and plus exile three other cards from your graveyard. And the at the beginning of your end step, sacrifice underworld breach. Uh, this has been indexed in basically every format except standard. I haven't seen many standard deck lists, uh, but it is kind of the king combo enabler. It is a Yogmoth's will with some restrictions. Being able to replay the same card over and over and over again really helps you kind of churn through whatever it is you're trying to do. And it's very powerful in Legacy, in Storm builds. Uh, It's really good with like Brain Freeze. Because if you cast a bunch of stuff and then you brain freeze targeting yourself, you're milling three cards each time. And then eventually you'll just build up a high enough storm count that you'll be able to brain freeze your opponent uh, by casting Lion's Eye Diamond multiple times. Uh, it's it's just a lot. So um, so there's actually a brain freeze storm deck called Oval Chase Breach Combo. Yeah, Oval Chase Daredevil. I don't know how the heck that card is seeing Legacy play. So Oval Chase it's Daredevil. It's three and a black for a 4-2 that says whenever an artifact enters the battlefield from your, or whenever a graveyard comes into the play. No, whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you may return Oval Chase Daredevil from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, now, I this, don't. This deck is playing four Chrome Mox, four Lion's Eye Diamond, four Lotus Pebble, four Mish- two Mishra's Bauble, and four Mox Opal. Oh, and three Urza's Bauble. Those, all of those artifacts I mentioned, zero cost artifacts. That are mostly mana rocks. Jeez, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah, and then it plays defense grid, and it's well, like, yeah, it's you, got... you don't no, you don't want anyone to interact with you, John. If I were to ask you off the top of the head, what does the card Riddle Smith do? Could you tell me Riddle Smith? I kind of looked at it earlier because I saw this deck list. It is one in a blue for a two one. Yeah, human artificer. Yep, and whenever you cast an artifact spell, it loots. I'm trying to remember if you have to pay one to loot. No, it just loots. It just loots, okay. Yeah, straight up loots. And it's got Seeming Spirit Guide, Narset to lock your opponent out of drawing, and it's a it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a doozy. Yeah, but also there's a Delver version of this deck being played. Yeah. Which is Delver, PZ, uh, Brazen Borrower, a True Name Nemesis, a Bedlam Reveler. It's playing three Lion's Eye Diamonds. Jeez. You kind of just dump your hand and then like pull stuff back with Underworld Breach. It's also now, got it's also got Infernal Tutor a Breeze, and it has it's it's a Delver deck that's playing a Storm combo out. Yeah, <laughs> it's like so you either kill them quickly with your Delvers or you kill them with Storm. It's it's really interesting. Now the deck that caught my attention from the Pioneer deck dump is a deck that's called uh, Chronic Breach because oh baby, so there's a lo- there's Lotus Field Storm decks in Pioneer that use Hidden Strings to tap and untap. Uh, Lotus Field, which taps for three mana of any one color. You try to make a bunch of mana, and then you eventually kill them with a kill condition of your choice. We'll we'll talk about one of them a little bit later. Um, and Hidden Strings is one of the blue sorcery. It has Cypher, but that's irrelevant for the combo decks. That says you may tap or untap target permanent, and then you may tap or untap another target permanent. Well, but still, read, what, this, read what Cypher does. Oh, Cypher, uh, as the spell resolves, you may exile it. Ciphered onto a creature. Whenever that creature deals combat damage to a player, you may then cast the ciphered spell. Now, granted, I only ever without paying mana cost. I only ever saw this card in a weird hidden strings combo deck that the per- the streamer who John and I know each other through uh, SCG Doc used to play back in uh, Return to Ravnica standard or Return to Ravnica beginning of Theros standard. 
Sure. Yeah. And like, that's the only time I ever, I'd ever seen this car before. To see it come back, it's like, oh, oh boy. Now, the chronic part of Chronic Breach is a, a draft common from Return to Ravnica called Chronic Flooding. It is one of the blue for an enchantment aura. It's an enchant land. Okay. Uh, whenever enchanted land becomes tapped, its controller puts the top three cards of his or her library to his or her graveyard. So, if you have a Chronic Flooding and a Hidden Strings and two lands and an Underworld Breach, you can cast Hidden Strings as many times as you want because you'll be able you'll exile basically every card that you mill. Yep. So you can mill your entire deck. It's hilarious. And then you win the game with one of the other cards we'll talk about from Theros Beyond Death. Yeah, it's there. There's some Theros has some cards, <laughs> and Underworld Breach is the probably the most card. Of all of those, if you want to just leave it at that, it's yeah. People it, it's saw the one that I'm most it. interested in playing with in modern. People saw it, we're like, we we really just did this. We really put Yogwill on an enchantment. Okay, it's not quite well. Anyways, um, it enables talk- it enables shenanigans that we couldn't do in formats that didn't have Yogwill in it. True, but we already had Yogwill in modern. It's called Pass and Flames. But I digress. <laughs> this is cheaper. Technically, yes, it, that, I mean, is, that is true. I say technically in that it's cheaper in its mana cost, but the deck constraints are different. I agree. Uh, Ian, talk to us about this next card that honestly, it seeing play doesn't surprise me as much. Well, when this card was previewed, everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's going to see play. That's that's getting in there. Let me just grab the full thing, because for some ungodly reason, I don't have it pulled up because I'm bad. Well, when it's a mythic rare it. and it's a gold card. It. Yeah, it's mythic. It's actually so. Before I get on this, this was actually originally a cycle of more cards that early, early in the design process, they decided now we're just going to have two of the the five, the two they liked the best. Yes, the two that had the best thing. So the first one is Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. That is the one green blue six six legendary creature elder giant at mythic. It says whenever Uro enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. Well, when it enters the battlefield or it attacks. So it has kind of like Titan text. Uh, you gain three life and draw a card. Then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. It has escape cost of green, green, blue, blue, exile five other cards from your graveyard. Nobody cares about the escape on this card for the most part. I mean, I don't think that's entirely true, but it, everyone's playing it because it's a three mana gain life explore. Yeah. And it's seeing a lot of play. Uh, I think it's being it's seeing a lot of play as like a powerful mid range threat. Pair they pair it with Primeval Titan. Um, you'll see it in Pioneer and some Blue Green Ramp decks. And what surprised me not too much uh, is that I was kind of rolling through deck lists and some of the deck list dumps recently that have these Theros Beyond Death cards. And there's a Simic Urza deck that instead of playing Oko because Oko is no longer in Modern, they're just playing. A bunch of Uros instead, and it's just kind of like... You ban this one three-mana, like, Simic thing? We're just going to play another three-mana Simic thing. Yeah, now, to be fair, uh, Uro has less synergy with Urza than Oko did, but at the same time, this is going to be... It's a really interesting card, and I'm I'm glad that it's seeing play, but I don't think it's broken in the sense that, that Oko was busted. I think it's using it in just for the straight value play that you get from that Urza deck is just dumping stuff in its yard anyway with how much it's casting. Sure. That it's pretty much just going to get escape early on in the game anyway. Sure. That seems sure, to be sure. what, like my understanding of what I saw with it anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but funnily enough, it's also showing up in, <laughs> so this is kind of relevant to what I linked you to strife pile. 
So. Oh yeah, fork uh, check pile. Yeah. So check pile has fallen off way off the radar for most players, except for this one player, Strifo, who puts up results in legacy champs and challenges consistently with the deck so much so that the MTG goldfish just started calling check pile Strifo pile. <laughs> and it also has a, another card that we're going to talk about next in it as well. <laughs> it's got a one of of these Wait, two. It was play. It's, it's playing the ox too. Yeah. <laughs> he's playing, wow. he's playing one of the ox too. Jeez. So, Ox of Agonas is three red red for a four two Ox at Mythic. Um, already, not impressed. Uh, it says when Ox of Agonas enters the battlefield, discard your hand, then draw three cards. It also has escape for red red and exile eight other cards from your graveyard. Uh, and then if it escapes, it, it's a five three instead of being a four two. I think, and I think the, the last line of text is probably one of the least relevant. It is. If it was two counters, then we're talking because then it survives Lightning Bolt. Um, which is relevant because um, it looks like Dredge got a new toy, which somebody says every set looks, ooh, looks like Dredge got a new toy. Oh, no. But no, for serious. Dredge, Dredge got a new toy. <laughs> so when I was talking about Ian to this card, and he was like, I don't get it. No, like, I, I, I didn't say I didn't get it. I just said I was having trouble wrapping my head. I'm like, all right, why is this so utterly busto? And then John sent me the, this link to a video, and I'm like, oh, that's why it's busted. Yeah, it's uh, Sodek, uh, noted Dredge Master in all formats uh managed to get a couple of copies of ox uh there's a 5-0 league in modern with ox only as a two of um and basically in the link that i sent ian we'll put a link to it in the show notes uh sodek has an ox in his graveyard his hand consists of like life of the loam and two stinkweed imps and it just goes rr exile a bunch of trash it was, get ox it was to play basically a bunch of fetch lands he just got rid of yeah discards two stinkweed imps and the life of the loam Dredges five to pick up a stinkweed imp. Dredges five to pick up a stinkweed imp. Oh, look, another stinkweed imp. Dredges five to pick up a stinkweed imp. And now he's got a five three ox. Also gets like a couple narcomebas. It's just so. I think he hit like only one narcomeba. Yeah, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, like in twenty cards left in his deck, he still had like I guess some yeah. narcomebas and prized and amalgams. The, he was and he the way, that, the way that Aaron Campbell put it, it's it was RR draw fifteen. Yeah, and the funny part was too at the end of the clip, he jokes around, it's like, "Oh, Ox should have haste." I'm like, "No, Ox should not have haste. <laughs> that would be utterly broken." But granted, it is a mythic, so I could actually see them say it escapes with a plus one plus one counter and haste. Uh, I would give it if I was going to give it a keyword, I'd give it menace. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like that seems like something that they would do if it would if it had some escape. Oh, if this was in Modern Horizons, it would 100 percent have haste. Oh, absolutely. Like, seriously, this card is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I actually even heard some Phoenix players. So the Arena Decklist podcast guys were talking about, uh, so Jerry and Brian were talking about even like a red-black Phoenix-style deck because this, yeah. this can dump stuff. Um, my issue you would need to be, with you would need Ox to be and heavy, Phoenix. You need to be heavily mill. Yeah, my issue with Ox and Phoenix is that the ox itself is not a incident or sorcery, so it doesn't get your phoenixes back. It does discard your phoenixes, which is important to the a phoenix style strategy. Um, but you need like, but I'm interested. Five I'm interested mana. to see it, it pay out. You need five mana and a lot of stuff in your yard to bring it back. Yeah, you basically yeah. need to be like thought scouring yourself a, a couple times, and then Merfolk secret keepering, whatever the heck the uh, sorcery part of that is. Be, yeah, I forget. Every, everyone knows it as Merfolk Secret Keeper. Yeah, you just basically need to mill yourself like a couple times over and then have that come back and have five mana somehow. But at that point, yeah. you could just do it anyway. I, I don't know. Phoenix definitely 
lost a lot. People were just trying to jam it because, you know, we miss I miss Faithless Looting, man. I miss it. <laughs> it had to go, but I miss it. I I don't. Um I mean anyways. That is that is very fair. It it was a busto card, but it was. We can kind of move on to the next this one was interesting that I saw a hit, but I'm not surprised it made some legacy decks. Yeah. I mean So you want to talk about John? Yeah, Clothis got a destiny. Uh she's one red green for a four or five legendary enchantment creature god. She has indestructible. As long as your devotion to red and green is sev- is less than seven, Clothis isn't a creature. Uh but everyone who's really playing her concerning her static ability. Uh, at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a land, you can either add red or green to your mana pool. Otherwise, you gain two life and Clothis deals two damage to each opponent. Uh, the main reason I saw it, I put it down, is I was kind of just like scrolling through deck lists and I was looking at Legacy and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. It got ninth in check pile? Yeah, it basically went, pile. It went five and two. And, well, yeah. There's a difference. Pile is more of just like a lot of one and twos of this is more of like a tighter list of draw spells. So it's not check trade binder. It's not technically a trade binder-ish thing. <laughs> There's some twos and threes of in the Planeswalker and Creature Department, yeah. but this is a lot of like the best of... When you think yeah, of I Legacy, like you think four of like color Kim, mid-range. Abrupt Decay, Ponder, Bolt, Inquisition, Brainstorm, Force, that kind of stuff. The usual sure. the usual control suite. Yeah, It's, um, it's not a bad card if you can stick it because... You're not even like this card. This deck literally does not turn it on. Period. End yeah. of sentence. It is literally sticking yeah. there as a three mana indestructible enchantment that you either ramp yourself or you're just draining. That's all it does. Yeah. Um, I think that Clothes is very, very interesting. Um, I think that there's also a red green beatdown deck that was playing her in Pioneer that I saw in the decklist dump, but nothing else that was too kind of ridiculous with Clothes. It's just that, you know, the th- the three mana gods were the cards that really saw play in original Theros. Uh, Athreos saw niche play, but Athreos is a little bit too niche in the original Theros. Uh, Thassa saw a lot of play. Uh, well, Thassa, we'll get to Thassa one of like the other the reason to play mono blue devotion. Exactly. Uh, and we'll get to um, we'll get to Heliod a little bit later. Um, but like that three mana god is really kind of where it's your curve topper. And then you either want to turn it on like for Thassa or, you know, Helia to a lesser extent, or you want to just have this indestructible enchantment sit in play because it's, it's much harder to remove based on the answers that exist in legacy. Now, yes, legacy has force of will. It has the ability to make sure the closes doesn't hit the board. Um, but once she sticks, that's where you're going to have the problem of, well, now how do I get rid of this? Yeah. And that's why this deck is playing those suites of force of will in the sideboard. It has pyro, blast it has red elemental blasts it has veil of summers yeah it's it, it's playing the usual no i i will get to play this stop kind of magic yeah so just just anticipate that kind of loveliness in your legacy events if you happen to see it i mean i i don't know if she would get into certain other formats like i would love to like you said the red green kind of like stompy ish yeah I mean, that Red Green Dragons deck back in the day was my jam, so if that thing exists again... That would be a perfect home for Clothes, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just a a nice beater, but... So we we talked about this next card, just a hair. Yeah, it's best friends with Underworld Breach, and um, I didn't realize this, but it's just the best Laboratory Maniac. Oh, without a doubt. 
Uh, so there's been some really ridiculous clips that have just been floating around with this card. And it's Thassa's Oracle. It's the blue, blue, one, three, Merfolk Wizard at rare that has a wall of text. It reads, when Thassa's Oracle enters the battlefield, look at the top X cards of your library, where X is your devotion to blue. Put up to one of them on top of your library. That's key, up to one. It doesn't really matter. But, and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. If X is greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. This just goes. Yeah, in that's like, that. That's the text. Yeah, that's the text. It goes in stuff like I'm looking at recent decks using Thassa's Oracle on MTG Goldfish, and there's a bug Doomsday Encephalid Breakfast list. It's like, good lord. Yeah, Doomsday got 11th in the Legacy Challenge with Thassa's Oracle as the win condition. Yeah, it's also got there's a, a mono blue standard mill. Yeah. Uh, Surprise. It's the win condition in the Chronic Breach deck that I showed earlier. Yeah, surprise card. Not from uh, Theros, but I I need to mention it, that we just kind of took people a surprise. Turns out one of the best uh, enablers for both white and blue devotion is Arcanist's Owl. Oh, yeah. That's the quad hybrid white-blue. So white-blue, 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 white-blue. One of those hybrid manas. 3-3 three, three artifact creature bird. That says, when Arcanist Owl enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library. You may, you may reveal an artifact or enchantment from among them and put it into your hand. The rest go on the bottom of your library in a random order. So you might be looking for something, maybe Nyx Lotus in this deck in particular. That's like really the only hit it's got or another Arcanist Owl or a yeah. Corridor Monitor to start doing some untapped twiddle shenanigans. But other than that, like you're just going ham on a lot of blue pips. There's also um, a mono blue uh, Thassa Deep Dwelling um, list that plays the Owl because you can get Thassa, then Thassa blinks the Owl. It's it, it's really sweet. Yeah. Basically, if you're playing Thassa's Oracle and you're looking to win with Thassa's Oracle, you're just going to massively overload on any blue pips you can get. Straight up, period, end of sentence. Just all the blue pips, give them to me, put them in my deck. Next, let's talk about the other three mana god in Theros Beyond Death, which is Hilliard Sun Crown. Yeah, uh, I know you two and a white five five. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, two and a white five five indestructible legendary enchantment creature god. Uh, it's not a creature unless your devotion to white is is five or greater. Um, and it says when you gain life, put a plus a plus encounter on target creature or enchantment you control, and you can pay one and a white and give another target creature life link until end of turn. Yes, again. Okay, so I know you have thoughts and opinions on the modern thing real quick, and Pioneer. I want to touch on Standard real quick. Sure. Because I actually played some White Devotion during the streamer event. Oh, I think in I think in Standard, it's going to be ridiculous. Oh, no. Like, Heliod's great in Standard, just for those of you out there. Like, it, it single-handed, people are saying it has single-handedly revived White as a color, uh, and those people being the Arena Deckless podcast guys, and I agree with them. White actually is decently playable again. Uh, there's a lot of... Daxos, Heliod, and stuff like that. Uh, I'll say it of Life of Bounty. Great one drop for that deck. Um, uh, there's also uh, Linden, Steadfast um, see, Queen. I I was iffy on Linden. She's good. So so here's the reason why I would play Linden with Heliod. Um, Linden says whenever a white creature you control attacks, you gain a life. That triggers for each of your white creatures that attacks. So Heliod will give a counter for each creature that attacks. Hear me out. That's why I would. That's why I would play Linden and Hill in uh, White Devotion. You want to know a card that people aren't playing that they probably should if they're playing the standard mono white deck? Please tell me a Johnny Strength of the Pride, the core twenty twenty a Johnny. 
Oh, the life gain one. Yeah. The one that makes the Johnny's Pride mates? Yeah, because you're already playing four of them, and it just makes more. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, Johnny, yeah, that makes Johnny sense. Strength of the Pride, for those who don't remember, is a two white, white, five loyalty legendary planeswalker. Johnny, at plus one, you gain life equal to the number of creatures you control plus the number of planeswalkers you control. Okay. That's usually at least going to gain you a minimum of one life. Minus mm-hmm. two, create a two, two white cat soldier creature token named the Johnny's Primate. With, you know, the Johnny's Primate, you gain, whenever you gain a life, put a counter on it. And as a zero of, if you have at least 15 life more than your starting life total, exile a Johnny's Strength of the Pride and each artifact and creature your opponents control. This deck has a lot of life gains, so you can actually just pop that zero and go for lethal. Yeah. It's, it's pretty gross, pretty disgusting. Try it in your sideboards, kids. Yeah. Now... I will say this about uh, Heliod in other formats. I think that Heliod Walking Ballista is too mana intensive uh, for a lot of reasons. Basically, Walking Ballista has to be on two. It can't be on one. Correct. Um, You also have a lot of interaction windows against the combo because everything has to happen at sorcery speed unless you're like collected companying into the Heliod. And even then, that's not necessarily guaranteed. So like, if you're trying to do it as fast as possible, yes, you can you can kill on turn four, theoretically. But that's not guaranteed. Yeah. Um, you need to basically be because you need to be basically green white and hope you have something like hardened skills. Yeah. Now, to be fair, like there's a mono white devotion deck I saw in Pioneer that's probably very similar to the standard one you played that played Walking Ballista, and that I'm fine with because Hilliot is just a good card in that deck, and then Walking Ballista is also just a good card. It's a really great creature trump mirror, and then it also has this "Oops, I win" with Hilliot. Um, yeah, you could like now, jam, you could jam a couple of those things together, like the devoted druid yeah. combo deck. You just shove Heliod in there, have fun. Uh, I will say that there was a spicy mono white devotionless I saw in Pioneer that was playing like um, the some red white lands like Sacred Foundry, uh, Battlefield Forge, and Clifftop Retreat for sideboard copies of uh, Experimental Frenzy. Whoa! Which I was like, that's cute. That's um, pretty but cute. But in modern. In modern, the combo with Spike Feeder is infinitely better. It's just that combo is just way better than the Walking Blessed combo. Yeah, and like I, because while it doesn't win you the game actively, because you could just say I set my life total to five billion, the game will could still continue, or your opponent could be like, well, you know what, I'm playing Burn, I'm not decking you, I'm going to go ahead and concede. Right, and then another thing is too is Heliod puts counters on stuff, so you can just keep feeding the Spike Feeder, and then eventually you just start dumping a couple things on other creatures well that's how you're getting infinite life because spike well, yeah. feeder says remove a counter gain two life well yeah but you're going to keep gaining life and gaining life and gaining life and then eventually you can just start dumping your counters elsewhere and then use something that's going to get are you not I, so okay so i remove so so spike feeder has two counters yeah i, re, I remove a counter to gain two life i trigger heli spike feeder has one counter on it i put a counter on spike feeder right spike feeder doesn't get any bigger no i know so i'm confused about how you're moving more counters around. i just dump them elsewhere at that point just remove the. You're, kill, you're only going to able to dump kill your like, spike feeder. I don't care. <laughs> spike feeder like, does what it did. It did its work. True, but anyways. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of the combo. Again, I think that Heliod, Heliod spike feeder is better than Heliod walking ballista, and even in pioneer with weaker removal than modern, I don't think that that combo is going to be good. Yeah, it's anyways. Yeah, it's definitely something where a combo exists, but it is not going to be as nutter butter busted as some of the other combos that have like that have infinite potential have been in the past and also modern can handle heliod walking ballista i will tell you this or, or heliod spike feeder i'm not gonna do like a, i will eat my shoe but i will i will you know 
metaphorically eat my shoe, if you want to go that way, if this actually becomes a busted needs to be banned combo. Well, I've never I've never met a four I didn't like. <laughs> I mean I mean we could pie bet, but that's other other people's things. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, let's I just move I on just don't think to... it's ever gonna get banned. I don't think so either. Uh, let's move on to um, the face card of the set, Elspeth Sun's Nemesis. She is, you know, the big gal. She's the big card of the set. She's the card that uh, excites people a lot. She's two white white for a five loyalty legendary planeswalker, Elspeth. She has a minus one, up to two target creatures you control. Each get plus two, plus two, plus one till end of turn. You can minus two to create two one one human soldiers, and you can minus three to gain five life. But she also has escape for four white white and exile four other cards from your graveyard. Um, she is going to be very good in standard, I imagine, and she has already popped up as a two of in a blue white control list, and apparently in a snowblade list in modern. From what I'm looking at, too, that makes sense. Granted, the the the, the person who's been playing it only played like one. <laughs> Yeah, the the uh, Pioneer deck list only played two, but that's because their other Planeswalker slots were Teferi and Teferi. Turns out that Blue-White has a glut of good Planeswalkers that are named Teferi. Who knew? Well, and, and to think there's only two, and, and to think that the next course that we're getting is Teferi-themed. Oh, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, uh, no. So we're going to get a four-mana Teferi. That's John, blue stop. white that does a whole Why are you speaking this into existence? And we're gonna get a <laughs> and we're gonna get a six mana Teferi in the Planeswalker deck. I got it. Well we already have a six mana Teferi. Fine, we're gonna get a seven mana Teferi. <laughs> to be fair, six mana Teferi is not very good. He was a Planeswalker deck card. Anyways, Elspeth, as I've ranted before about people misevaluating Elspeth, I think that's going to slowly be weaned out now that she's gonna be now that she's out in the open. Um, I'm excited to see where she goes from here. You're with a... Uh... Another per- uh, guy, I can't remember his name, Zach. He does a, uh, oh, former co-host of Turn One Thought Seas. But uh, is A22EN, I always forget his yeah. Yeah, uh, on Twitter. He has been preaching about how everyone has just completely misevaluated Elspeth. Like he said, pretty sure I'm the only one who thinks Elspeth Conquers deck will be a top five card for new constructed. So he's been, he's been on it highly since the beginning too so you're not you're not alone in people evaluating this card is like yeah people are people are sleeping on it i I don't know if i would go that high but i think that people are under are underrating her. oh people are definitely sleeping on elspeth for sure i'm also not going to be the one who's going to explore the elspeth sons nemesis decks on the flip side i will be exploring the phoenix of ash decks this sounds like your jam yeah phoenix of ash is you know listen i love me red aggressive decks if anyone knows anything about me it's I like to play my mountains, and then I like to play haste creatures and turn them sideways. Uh, Phoenix of Ash is one red red for a 2-2 creature Phoenix at rare. It's got flying and haste, so it's a surprise of no one. You can play two and a red to get the Phoenix plus two plus O till end of turn. It also has escape for two red red and exile three other cards from your graveyard. And when it escapes, it escapes with the plus one plus one counter on it. So it's either a three mana 2-2 flying haste or a four mana 3-3 flying haste, both of which I'm okay with. Which also uh, have... It- Weird fire breathing. I don't. It's trumpet blast for itself. Yeah, I uh, Phoenix of Ash. I think is really really good. Uh, it's a really great recursive threat. There's a there's a mono red deck that was playing it in Pioneer, which I think is a perfect home for it. In Standard, this is going to be a really really good finisher. I imagine. Well, Ox of Agonosk was kind of the finisher. I I kind of wanted it to be in Standard. Phoenix of Ash is the better version of it, um, because it has flying and it has haste. 
and the exile cost, while the mana is expensive, uh, the cost of exiling other cards is low. Uh, it's the same reason why I'm so high on escape velocity, which is one of the auras with escape. It's uh, red for an aura on a creature. <laughs> creature gets plus one, plus zero, oh and has haste, and you can escape it for two mana and exile two other cards, which is a super minor cost, I think, in a red aggressive deck. Yeah, so... Mono red aggro and standard can go like turn one scorch bitter go turn two runaway steam can go turn three fervent champion and infuriate your fervent champions and giving it plus three plus two on an already first strike hasty guy then you can play oh another one drop like shock something out of the way and then with that runaway steam can you chonk off those three counters and then play your phoenix of ash and you're just bashing for a ton yeah Oh, and it also plays Ember Cleaves, so like, yeah, ouch. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Give me all the, give me all them cleaves. Yeah. So there, that deck can do some pretty crazy stuff if you pile it up enough. Um, yeah, yeah. Phoenix of Ash is just going to be a solid recurrable beater for the like. That's also something too that some of these red decks have as they run out of gas. This can just use all the stuff you've already played to just keep bringing it back. They have to exile it. Otherwise, yep. they're just going to have to deal with a bolt every turn. Mm-hmm. Or even more than that, because um, you're probably being able to dump extra mana into this if it sticks around for a turn. Yeah. All right, Ian, talk about this other card, because I really hate green three mana two fours. So, is it Dryad of the Dryad of the Elysian Grove? It is a three and a green two four enchantment creature nymph at rare. That reads, you may play an additional land on each of your turns. Yuck. Lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. So it's Prismatic Omen stapled on a 2-4 that lets you ramp. I hate that it's a 3-mana 2-4, just like Corsair Crufix. Oh. At least Dry doesn't gain life. Yeah, that is one thing. It's And you can't look at the top card of your library. That too. But it, it doesn't provide pseudo card advantage. But it Prismatic Omens to the point where you don't need a critical amount of mass. You don't need a, ma- a critical mass of mountains anymore. Yeah, it just goes really well in like any deck that plays Valakut the Molten Pinnacle. Yes, any any Titan deck wants to just go, this is a three drop, and then maybe a Titan on four. Yeah. And then it also is like I saw it as a like a one of in Legacy Lands. Because remember, this can play a Titan on four. How? Well, you play this on your, as your third drop, and then you play your an so, additional okay. land, and then your next turn you drop two lands, and then you got prime time, and then you go to town. So turn one, actually, turn one you play Forest Utopia Sprawl. Next turn, you play land, tap three, play uh, Dryad. Then you play second land. Then you put a Utopia Sprawl on that land. Then next turn, you go land, six mana, prime time. Then you can play another land from your hand. Yeah, it's a lot. It's also being seen in a, there's a bring to light. They're calling it light field Titan shift. Oh, that's too much. Yeah, it's basically field of the dead and uh, prime time with bring to light. There's also a spicy Monvali acid moss. <laughs> for so that's a the two green green from uh what format was this uh boy uh, it's from time spiral the yes, common reads destroy target land search your library for a forest card not basic forest a forest card put it on the battlefield tab shuffle your library so you destroy land of theirs and you ramp yourself but yeah it's also just seeing play in like blue green titan which is gross yeah and you can summers pack for it too yeah because yeah. that's fun yeah yeah this deck can do some right. straight busto things um it's i don't know if it's going to be nearly as broken as 
some of the other land things like uh Uro is. Yeah. But it's definitely enabling these Titan Shift style decks to do stuff with Valakit that, you know, it you don't need mountains. You can just go straight blue-green again and stick with... Because they were doing blue-green Simic Titan, I guess. Or what's it called? Oko Titan. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of it. This just literally makes all of your lands Valakid enablers. Which is gross. Straight up. Oof. You just need to make sure that you get right. it out the turn you're Valakuding. Otherwise, it can get killed. Because while it doesn't die to Lightning Bolt, it does die to Fatal Push with Revolt. So, yeah. thank God, right. thank God for that. Uh, we're gonna go to the bottom of the list real quick, and then we'll circle back up to the other two. Um, we talking about Nightmare Shepherd is a card that um, oh, is baby. very, very good. It's two black, black for a four-four flying enchantment creature demon with no downside. It says whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you may exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a one-one and it's a nightmare in addition to its other types. Meow. Now you may be going, John. Why did you put this card on here? Well, A, Mono Black Devotion is back, and this is a good card in it. Meow. But, but really, well, yeah, and the cat. <laughs> I was really I was playing. Because... I was, oh, a brief aside, I was playing Mono Black Cat, and this this card was either always getting countered or killed on site because it just can't stay. You have to kill this card. Here's the reason why I put it yeah. on because there is a 15 step Vanifar chain that will kill you instantly from th- from 43. So your board has to be Vanifar, Prime Speaker, or Prime Speaker Vanifar, which is the birthing pod creature, right? Sacrifice another creature, get a creature that costs one more than it put it into play. Yep. Uh, and you have to have a Gilded Goose in play, which is a one-mana creature. And then your hand has to have a Corridor Monitor, which is from Throne of Ultrain. It's one in the blue, one four artifact creature. When it enters the battlefield, untap another target creature. Great. So what you do is you sacrifice, you activate Vanifar, sacrificing Gilded Goose to get another Corridor Monitor from your deck which untaps Vanifar. You then tap Vanifar to sack the Corridor Monitor to get one of the new cards, uh, Hrixis Tower Scout, which is a 2 and a green 3-3 three, three common human scout from Theros Beyond Death. That says when it enters the battlefield, untap target creature. So you untap Vanifar. Then you sacrifice the Tower Scout to get Nightmare Shepherd. Are we following? Yes. Now you tap. Now you play Corridor Monitor from your hand to untap Vanifar. Then you tap Vanifar to sacrifice Corridor Monitor to get Woe Strider from Theros Beyond Death, which is a uh, two and a black, three, two, horror. Oh. Uh, when you the battlefield, you make an 0-1 go. I love that card. Uh, then you exile the corridor monitor that you just sacrificed to make a token of it with Nightmare Shepherd to untap Vanifar. Then you pod the corridor monitor token for Hyrax Tower Scout to untap Vanifar. Then you pod the goat token into a Gilded Goose. Then you, set, you you tap Vanifar to pod away the Hyrax Rivers or uh, Tower Scout into um, into another uh, Nightmare Shepherd Exile. Sa- oh, no, no, sorry, no, no, sorry. You sacrifice Hyrax Tower Scout to Woe Strider to scry one because it has that ability just to make the token to untap it. Then you pod the Goose into another Corridor Monitor to untap Vanifar, and you get a one-one Goose token from Nightmare Shepherd. Then you pod the Hyrax Tower Scout into another Nightmare Shepherd, so you have two Nightmare Shepherds in play. Then you sacrifice the corridor monitor to get another to you sacrifice corridor monitor to Woe Strider to get a one one token uh, to untap your Vanifar. Then you pod then you sacrifice Va- or you tap Vanifar to sack the corridor monitor into another Tower Scout to untap Vanifar. Then you tap then you pod one of the Nightmare Shepherds into Grey Merchant of Asphodel, who we all know and love, uh, to drain your opponent for seven. Uh-huh. Uh, then you sacrifice the Tower Scout to Woe Strider to get a one one to copy of it to untap your Vanifar. 
Then you pot away the, the another Nightmare Shepherd, make a 1-1 token of it to make another Gary to drain for 9. Then you sacrifice Gary to Woe Strider to get another to get a 1-1 Gary to drain for 9. Gary. <laughs> Gary. It's a lot. I recommend looking it up. That it's, is that is complicated. It is. But it, it's it's cute. Pod? Yeah, it's... All right, look, there's a reason why Pod was a hell of a deck that needed to get banned in modern years ago before I actually started getting into... I was like, literally, I was on the cusp of getting into modern when uh, Pod was at its heyday, at its height. And I avoided getting into modern just because I heard people saying, like, this deck's going to get banned. I'm like, all right, let me see what deck comes out after that. So that's what I was like. That's why I got into Infect when I did is because Pod went away because of all the Pod shenanigans. You could just malaria into Pod. And what's the point of playing Infect when you can't put counters on your you know, opponent? And there's no way to do damage. So, oops. But yeah, Vanifar is a heck of a magic card. Yeah, Birthing Pod chains, like, and the Birthing Pod deck in Modern was a mid-range deck. It had a combo finish, but it, w- it could just also mid-range you out. And then Seedrino came out and it kind of needed to go. But anyways, um... There were two cards that I saw – one I saw a lot of conversation about on social media concerning, and the other one I haven't seen much talk of, but I saw it in some deck lists, and I'm like, that's not an accident. Um, the first one is a card that should surprise no one as to how powerful it is, um, especially in Limited. Like, in Limited, I don't think anybody questions how good Kiora Best the Sea God is, It's the but apparently this is also, like, really good in Standard as okay, well. Okay, so Kiora Best the Sea God is just almost unbeatable. Yeah, it's five blue blue for a mythic saga. Yep. Uh, its first chapter is create an eight eight blue kraken creature token with hexproof. Yep. Its second chapter is tap all non-land permanents target opponent controls and they don't untap during the next untap step. And then the third chapter is gain control of target permanent opponent controls, untap it. Yeah. It's gross. Utterly disgusting. Like you make an eight eight hexproof, then you just tap all their things, hit them for eight. And then they don't untap again, so it's your turn again. You just hit them for eight again. Right. So if you go, if you if you curve two Kiorabes the Sea God into each other, your opponent just dies. Yeah. So what um, what deck are you seeing this in? What have you seen it in, in standard? It's like a ramp deck. I would imagine it's just like a finisher as like a blue white control finisher. Yeah, I can see that. Or you could also use it in like a ramp style deck. Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to get a copy for Commander because I think in Commander this is hilarious. Plus, I play Brutaclad. Um, and this seems really, really fun to turn, like, all my clue tokens into 8-8 hexproofs. Oh, man, I was going to build a Brutaclad, too, so yeah, I need to get this in there. Yeah. Uh, the other card that is in the set that I kind of want to put in Brutaclad is the Nader Kraken. It's, uh, real quick, it's one blue-blue for a 2-3. Whenever you draw a card, you may pay one. If you do, put a puzzle puzzle counter on the Kraken and make a 1-1 tentacle. Yeah, I, I've been actually playing Nader Kraken in a Teamer Fires list. That I got from Yeoman Five, uh, they, sure. they posted uh, before the streamer event. That deck is ridiculous because keep in mind you don't have to pay mana for casting things. You can literally just dump all your mana into Nadir Kraken if you want. Nice. Yeah, I think it's at least one. But yeah, also it plays Wildborn Preserver to dump all your mana into that. Yeah, so you get it. You draw a card, pay one, get a tentacle. Tentacle triggers Wildborn Preserver. You just dump like five mana and leave two up for uh, what's it called? Cavalier of Flame. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gross. I was at one life. My opponent was like at 15, and I still won that game a couple nice. times with that deck. It's You look like you're just about dead, and then it just pulls a win out of its butt somehow. So 
Yeah. But yeah, now, the Deer Kraken is an interesting card for sure. Now, the card that surprised me the most, I was looking at Decklist and I go, okay, that makes sense. Cool, cool, cool. This seems like a totally reasonable card. And then I saw a blue-red uh, Through the Breach deck. So the Through the Breach game plan is you're playing a blue-red game plan. Uh, then you cast Through the Breach, which is uh, four and a red for an arcane instant. Uh, you may put a creature from your hand onto the battlefield. It gets haste, sacrifice at the end of the turn. Uh, and you put Emrakul into play. You hit them for 15. And you hope that that's enough as well as the Annihilator 6 trigger. But then I was looking at it, I'm like, wait a minute. This is playing four copies of Omen of the Sea. Omen of the Sea is one of the blue for a common enchantment from Theris Beyond Death. It has Flash. When Omen of the Sea enters the battlefield, scry two, then draw a card. And then you can pay two and a blue and sacrifice Omen of the Sea to scry two. It, the, literally just to churn through your deck, huh? I get it. Well, A, almost, they had like no sorceries in the deck. Everything was instant. So everything you could you could do on your opponent's turn. Like the other creatures in the deck that weren't Emrakul were like Snapcaster Mage and Brazen Borrower. So literally just stuff with Flash and play on your opponent's turn. Exactly. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, I mean, Omen of the Sea is cool and all. Like it's a it's a two mana instant uh, preordain. And preordain so good in modern that it got banned. Uh, it's the it's the cantrip du jour in Vintage because Brainstorm and Ponder are restricted. And then I was like, well, they printed in Modern Horizons Scour the, Scour the Possibilities, which is one in the blue sorcery, scry to the draw card with flashback for four in a blue. And if that was an instant, I think it would be seeing play over Omen of the Sea. But the fact that this person who was piloting it was playing Omen of the Sea to do this was, I think, pretty interesting. And then I saw it in a couple other deck lists because it provides a devotion pip for Thassa's Oracle. And I feel like that this is a card that it's a common card draw spell. It's slightly more powerful than Opt. And if you care about enchantments, especially with Flash, Omen of the Sea does that kind of in spades. And it just does something very innocuous. I just think that it's really cool that this card is seeing play. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely one of the more powerful. I mean, okay. The Omens are all like roughly within the same power band. Like Omen of the Sun is two and a white. And it makes two one one human soldiers, and you gain two life. That's you know, I would pay that for three mana at instant speed. Same with Omen of the Sea. I'm happy paying two mana to preordain at instant speed. Omen of the Dead. I am looking it up right now. Uh, is a raised dead with flash for a single mana, which I'm a hundred percent okay for. Uh, the uh, red one, the Omen of the Forge, uh, is one of the red for a flash with. It's a shock, which is eh, not great, but it is a common. Uh, it also goes to any target instead of just creatures or anything else. So you can you can nug a planeswalker if necessary. Uh, and then the green one is two and a green for a rampant growth at instant speed. And then they all have two and a color sack to scry to, which I think is all super relevant text, which kind of does change the evaluation a little bit of them. Uh, in limited, they're obviously all solid, but in constructed, I think that the fact that Omen of the Sea is seeing play in a in a format like modern is just really really cool. Oh yeah, it that or it's always great to see those cards you just don't expect ever that or it's an indictment of the state of blue cantrips in modern but i'm not getting into that debate oh we could have an episode on that so i have a playset of foil preordains ready for when they ever they whenever they decide to unban them in modern i mean preordain that's the scry to draw one right yes yeah, that's for one man that honestly that's like probably should come back into modern they're not it's but not I'm going to it. it it could but it's not but i'm ready for it like it was funny. I was playing a Highlander this weekend, and I was like, "Oh, ponder, scry to draw a card." And then Jordan was like, "I'll do what you did, but worse." 
and played Serum Visions. <laughs> I was like, I appreciate the fact that we both understand that it's the worst version of that card. Getting the selection before you draw is way better than drawing and then making a selection for future turns. Agreed. I don't think that's any debate. Do, but do you think that uh, what's it called would be broken? Like, does you think it would break Storm? What pre yeah. it would it would break other decks before it broke Storm. Yeah. Like, okay, I play four copies of Sight of Hand, four copies of Opt, and four copies of Serum Visions. I think if I get preordained, I just lose Sight of Hands. And I get preordains. Oh yeah, like absolutely ditch the Sight of Hands. Like, that's but, not even. That's not even a question. Yeah. So it just depends. Yeah. So I think that exhausts our list. Unless Ian, there are any cards that you were thinking of as we were talking that you wanted to discuss. No, from uh, you were you basically now you basically hit most of the ones I do. Uh, we could definitely say, hey, listeners, if you had cards that we didn't talk about but want us to hit us up, because honestly, now to be fair, we did we did talk specifically about sixty card formats. Yes, we understand that Nyx Bloom Ancient is absurd in Commander. We are aware of this. <laughs> oh, and also that what's his name? Thrix. Yeah. The uh three blue three blue blue. Um three blue blue, Thrix four five storm. with flash and flying. Yeah. yeah. Spells you cast with converted mana cost five or greater cost one less to cast and can't be countered. Well, yes, I would like an uncounterable uh let's see here. Uh consecrated sphinx, dig through time, treasure cruise. Um I don't know. Sphinx's Revelation. Sphinx's Revelation. Ew. I'm not playing <laughs> Sphinx's Revelation. Get out of here. Fine. Oh, Expansion Explosion. I got it. Four mana Mythic Confluence. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Four mana Mythic's Confluence. Amazing. <laughs> Uncounterable. It's a lot. Uncounterable four mana Mythic Confluence. Who needs Cryptic Command? Uncounterable Force of Wills. Yes, that is very true. I forgot about that. <laughs> Who cares about Force of Will? <laughs> Oh my god, we can go all day about this. No, yeah, Thrix is great and I love it, but that's 100 card format. For sure. Yeah. Enabling me, yeah, if there's any cards enabling that, me on my blue we, BS continuously. Gotta yeah. love it. Yeah, if there's any cards that you think that we honestly miss talking about kind of the 60 card formats, or if there's cards that excite you for Canadian Highlander or EDH or whatever other casual formats, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, Ian, what's the best way that people can tell you what the cards we missed were? Y'all can tell me. You can just at me, bro. At me on Twitter. Uh, at Dixon IJ, that's D I X O N I J. You guys can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. That's D I X. I have my new gritty emote. I was popping it around in some Twitch chats today, and I think I actually got a new subscriber <laughs> to my channel just because I was using <laughs> the gritty pog champ emote that I have. So I, I have a pog champ gritty emote that my good friend Taylor Quinn did, TQ. Uh, she's an amazing artist. Check her out uh, when her. Uh, slots for uh, commissionings open up check that out because she does some great work took her a while to do it because life and other stuff was happening for her but when she did she literally crushed it out of the park and i love the dang thing i love my sweet orange annoying boy (laughs) but anyway enough of that john where can they find you you guys can find me on twitter at jwiley129 that's jwiley129 you can also find me on twitch at the same handle uh, if you see me floating around a chat room, do not hesitate to say hi. If you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so in one of two primary ways. You can either hit us up on Twitter at Eyes and the Mice, or if you have a more personal question, you can shoot us an email at eyesandthemice at gmail.com. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. On behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time. Mm-hmm.